Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because, hey bitch, wait till you see my dick. But regardless of how you know me, you know that I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Dick Stack. Oh, hell yeah, my thickies. Welcome to the show, everyone, recording this week at the Department of Human Thickness. Quick reminder, make sure you follow us on Twitch to watch us play games like Marvel's Avengers or Spider-Man Miles Morales and soon some other superhero video games. The link to the Twitch channel is in our show notes. There are quite a few shows dropping this week, so please listen to them and share them with your friends. Now to the city shoutouts. Up first, hello to our new friends in Houston, Texas. All the love in the world to our friends in Mountain View, California. Welcome in Montgomery, New York. Warwick, Rhode Island, you're beautiful like that James Bond song. You guys do remember that, right? Anyway, hello, hello, Columbus, Ohio. And finally, thanks for checking in, sweet, sweet LA. As always, we start by rating the thickness of my stack, so... Slide, slide, slippity slide while we check out Mike's Thickometer. Oh, yeah, Mike's Thickometer. Thick like the pile of leaves I just raked, this week clocks in at a 9 out of 10 on Mike's Thickometer. I live for this thickness. I stand this thickness. I am this thickness? In case you're curious, the stack this week has a one issue DC Edge but still a shit ton of titles released here. This week, we begin with the DC books. We begin with Batman and the Outsiders, number 17, the final issue in the series. I gave this a 3 out of 5. This this issue had a lot of loose ends to tie up. Bruce calls the team together north of Gotham for some food to give Sophia a ranch, which is, you know, rich man power move, and get a rare chance to talk. There are a lot of good character moments as this issue goes on, and Shiva is definitely up to something. She drops some different perspective to Duke and offers to teach him. Jeff leaves the table that they all gather around and goes for a walk, clearly with events weighing heavily on his mind, and Tatsu goes after him to talk, catch up. It seems like these two will be off on their own adventure in the near future. Bruce goes to talk to Cassandra and has about as tender a moment as I've seen as Cassandra hugs him. Then, Shiva gets in Sophia's ear, saying she left Bruce downstairs after tea, basically offering revenge on people like Ishmael. Bruce wakes up from being drugged from the tea, and everyone is gone but Shiva. She says that everyone wanted to be gone before he woke up, and that Sophia will now be with Shiva of her own volition. Bruce isn't happy about this, but lets her go. As I said earlier, this had a lot of loose ends to tie up, but to me it created more. There's no talk so far of a follow-up series, and it's a little bit frustrating because these characters so often end up in limbo or get ignored altogether. It was nice, however, to get a smaller, tighter story that served as a pivot point for a lot of characters. Next up, we have Dark Knight's Death Metal number four. I gave this a four. This is a co-DC book of the week right here. The thing I love about the Metal series is that the heroes lose before they even come close to getting any kind of win, and that really continues here. The Trinity is split across three different crisis events, and it's gone horribly wrong. Batman is prisoner to Mobius. Superman is prisoner to Darkseid, who wants to make him his quote-unquote final son, 
and Wonder Woman is being held by Superboy Prime. Superboy Prime's story seems interesting in that he went to the Batman Who Laughs after he was freed from the source wall and promised to give him Diana. We get a brief look at the flashes on the run. Uh, there's a run-in with the Robin King with Jonah Hex's head, Harley, Swampy, and Ijaro. Robin King kills Jonah Hex, banishing him to the lowest, hottest pit of hell, damned to be tortured every day. As this team escapes, we get time back with Diana and Superboy Prime. He blames her for everything that's happening right now, but he's, he's trying to save them all. Meanwhile, Mobius starts to unmake Batman as Darkseid starts to remake Superman. As the antenna begins to prep to fire, Diana frees herself and begins to fight with Superboy Prime. She gets through to him, and he punches another hole in reality and joins the Trinity as they attempt to use the Alfred boxes. They catch up to the Flashes and find out that their plan failed because Batman Who Laughs has redirected their power to himself and is now powerful enough to remake the multiverse, and he's calling it The Last 52. So first of all, Greg Capullo crushes this book on art. It's unreal how good it looks. The thing I love about what Scott Snyder does is he crushes the heroes badly. It's not their power that defines how they eke out wins. It's their resolve in their character. But survival doesn't necessarily mean a win, as this issue clearly shows us. I may not be in love with all the tie-ins at this point, but this kicks pretty hard. Next up, we have Detective Comics number 1028. I gave this a 4 out of 5 as well. This is another co-DC book of the week. For self-contained story, this did a ton to score the book of the week honor. It opens with a murder of a man named Richard Godis, Goddess, I'm not sure, I'm going to go with Goddess, who is a detective. Bruce attends the funeral and it sets Batman off because of the things that he overhears. From here becomes a detective story with all the pieces slowly falling into place. But as more cops get murdered and decapitated, he digs further and further in. He meets up with Bullock, who kicks him out. Batman is wildly unpopular after the events of the Joker War. The killer contacts the last detective on his list, forcing him to bring some tapes to a stable. It turns out to be the son of a disgraced detective who was framed. Before Stephen can get the detective to shoot himself, Batman steps in and then goes on a horse chase through Gotham before catching him. Batman gives a story to a reporter, and the issue ends with Christopher Nakano running for mayor saying they need to get rid of the masked and dangerous, which seems like it's going to make life difficult for Batman going forward. I really like this because it's such a crazy detective story. We don't get that a lot with Batman, and since the you know actual title of the book is Detective Comics, it's nice to see a detective using his detective skills. I hope to see this more as this goes forward, but you know, we'll see. Next up we have Flash number 763. I gave this a two and a half. While this issue had an interesting setup, left me feeling a little meh. It starts with Barry's flash ring getting lifted off his person, and he finds it at Trickster's Arcade. It's low-key a gambling establishment betting on how fast Flash will save people. Flash gets tricked by the Trickster, and when he figures it out, he goes to get his ring back, confessing why it's special to the Trickster. Trickster tries to use it and gets knocked out by the costume exploding out of it, and Barry gets his ring back. He explains to Iris that it's his parents' rings fused together. The issue ends with Dr. Alchemy setting up to be a main villain going forward. Up front, the art is just fine. I don't like some of the facial work here. At times, they just get a little too disfigured from my personal taste. As far as the story, it 
just doesn't do much for me. I know it's a new writer, but it just fell a little flat for me after Williamson's run. Next up, we have Justice League Odyssey number 25. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. This is an, another series finale coming out on, on, on this week. Time travel really fucks with my head here. The League risks everything to stop Darkseid. A couple of Leaguers are mortally wounded in an epic battle against Darkseid's minions. The team at the revision mechanism starts to smash, causing Gammonite to fade out of existence, and Darkseid retreats, leaving the team to face their death. An injured Jessica Cruz powers up the injured Vic Stone, both from different points in time, and he boom-tubes the rest of the team out, while Darkseid begins his machinations again. The team goes their separate ways to get the word out about what Darkseid is doing. When Corey and Vic boom back to Earth, it's at the beginning of the current Doom Metal Justice League story. I've always loved this book, and I'm sad to see it go. That said, the book began to meander lately and do some really weird stuff lately. I'm happy it got to end on its own terms for now. I really want to see a team deal with the continued threat of Darkseid after this ends, though. Artness book's pretty good, but my favorite part is the variance in the costume designs of past, present, and death metal books. I think it's cool when artists get to play around with different looks for the characters that they're dealing with. Okay, next up we have Rorschach, number one. I gave this a two and a half out of five as well. There was a considerable amount of hype coming into this series, and it had a lot of expectations around it, especially looking at the character at the center of the series and the creative team tackling it. It takes place in present day, and the first thing we see is Rorschach being gunned down at a political event. The majority of the issue is detectives trying to get to the bottom of who these people that they just shot down are. The issue definitely takes the long way around, but when they finally get solid IDs on the two dead people, the man's prince comes back as Walter Kovacs, the original Rorschach. I'm a little confused about this overall timeline and what exactly is taken in as canon. They reference things from the TV show as well as the original Watchmen run. I'm confused if we're supposed to be taking the show as in-universe canon, but it seems like we're supposed to. I just don't know. There are cool callbacks to the Watchmen world, but overall this falls a little flat to me. It should have been more impactful in my mind, and I feel like I barely knew what I read after I was done. The book does look amazing. It has lots of graphic nature to it, and it's presented incredibly. I'm hoping that as this develops, it gets better for me. Next up, we have Strange Adventures number 6. I gave this a 3 out of 5. We're officially halfway through this limited series, and it still feels like it's developing slowly for me. There are two stories basically going on here. One is a story between Mr. Terrific uh, and Alana Strange, and the other is about Alana and Adam. Mr. Terrific is taking some time to seemingly open up to Alana Strange about the death of his wife and child, and she shares the story behind the death of her daughter. They walk in the winter landscape, exchanging thoughts, and when they get back to Michael's, Mr. Terrific becomes a savage. He says that he's going to continue looking at what's happened, and that she should talk to her husband about their daughter. On Ran, there's a snapshot of Adam and Alana going to war against the Peaks. There's a lot of battle and a lot of death, and a ton of communication between the Command and the Stranges. The flashback portion ends with the both of them getting shot and Adam seemingly being taken away. I feel like this book desperately needs to pick up the pace and get somewhere, or risk being a money sink for those who have read it. There are cool moments, though, as Mr. Terrific is written excellently, and there's a theme with a countdown that gets played very well in the scene with the, with the tolling bell. Outside of that, 
I just wanted to do something. Anything, really. Next up, we have Superman number 26. Gave this a two and a half out of five. Speaking of doing something, this issue just doesn't resonate with me at all like the action book does. This takes the opportunity to have this new threat attack Superman, but then backs up to the day before. It shows Clark being introspective with, with Lois at home, and then he dashes off to the fortress at Kellex's request. He gets Jimmy and takes him to the planet. The UFO that Kellex was tracking has altered course, seemingly tracking Clark at the planet, and Clark changes into Superman to meet the threat head-on in space. He constantly tries to talk to the threat, but ends up getting nothing from this new creature. As they plummet to Earth, a security measure kicks in, transporting them both to the Phantom Zone, where the battle continues as the issue ends. This was honestly a boring issue to me, despite the action. The book looks fine, but the story doesn't move the needle for me, and without being blown away by the art, this book also just falls incredibly flat for me. Finally, here on the DC side, we have Wonder Woman number 764. I gave this a 3 out of 5. The Max Lord saga seems to continue in this book, but it seems like something is wrong. Max uses his powers a lot here, leading some pretty heavy nosebleeds. Diana and Max go to a beach to meet up with Contact, who has access to Max's tech. He activates a bunch of killer robots at the beach, which Max and Diana fight. Diana calls the giant shark from a couple issues ago and wipes out the robots on the beach. Max contributes, and they go their separate ways for the evening. Diana spends part of her evening on the beach thinking about how she doesn't trust Max at all, especially given how much he's been using his powers on regular people just because he's slightly annoyed. Full disclosure, that's probably how I would be using those powers as well. I don't know how to feel about the art in this one. At times, it's good, but the work of Janin is still burning to my brain from the first issue of the new creative team. It's good, but not as good as I've come to expect. As far as the story arc so far, I think it's just trying to find its footing. That doesn't mean it's easy because development has been tough to come by, but if this ends up being a hard-hitting, significant Max Lord story, there's potential. It could have just been a marketing ploy to match up with Wonder Woman 1984, but that's clearly fallen flat as of now due to COVID. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to jump into these Marvel books, baby! Hey guys, this is Jesse at the Twisted Cape. We just wanted to take a moment to thank all of you amazing listeners of both the Twistcast and Mike's Thick Stack for your support over all these years. Just a friendly reminder to subscribe to our shows on your favorite podcasting platform, because we're everywhere. Also, don't forget to like and rate the Twistcast wherever you listen. We do love our five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Don't forget to tell us what you like about the show in your review as well. And now, back to the show. And we're back! So stupid. I <laughs> can't help myself. Uh, Alright, we're going to jump into these Marvel books real quick. Run through these things. Starting with Amazing Spider-Man number 50. I gave this a 4.5 out of 5. And yes, this is your Marvel book of the week. Rebound City. This book starts with Kindred doing things to actively fuck with Peter, most notably digging up George Stacy. Then we see Spidey swinging, losing his webbing, and then bouncing down a bridge and landing in a dumpster, which is, you know, typical Parker luck. As a fallout from earlier, we get a confrontation from Norman Osborn and Sin Eater, where he implies he knows who Kindred is. In an exchange where we see both Norman and the Goblin, 
Sin Eater cleanses him in the sub-basement, leaving him floating in the water. Pete shows up to Doctor Strange's and passes out in his arms. Then Sin Eater is told by Kindred that he gets no reward and is consumed and presumably killed by the sins that he's taken on, and then those sins get to go free. Now we get some backup and understand why Spidey's looking so rough. He wakes up in the Sanctum Sanctorum and tells Stephen everything. We find out that the Order of the Web has taken on the sins, uh, let free, and been transformed and have started to actively hunt Spidey. We get a quick snapshot of Kindred setting a dinner table with George and Gwen Stacy's corpses. Norman Osborn is found and frantically tells Dr. Kafka that he has to help find Kindred because he's Harry Osborn. I cannot believe how much better this issue was than the last one. Night and day. This book had so much of everything. New regular artist Patrick Gleason, who I love, and his Spidey design to me is perfect. I love Big Eye Spidey. Kindred's design is so creepy and awesome to look at. It's just a moonshot home run on, on art in this issue. And the story keeps you off balance enough until you turn to that last page of this oversized issue. I'm so excited to see where this goes. Alright, next up we have Avengers number 37. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. It's the final issue of the Age of Khonshu and I have some mixed feelings. The issue starts in space with Khonshu battling Iron Man because he's after the Starbrand baby. Moon Knight shows up, imbued with the Phoenix Force, and punches Khonshu back down to Earth. Then he sends the two Avengers back to Earth as Khonshu immediately starts dealing with the fallout of, you know, being back on Earth and surrounded by Avengers. T'Challa takes back the Onks that have stolen the powers and gives them to Blade and Hulk, who become the Sorcerer Supreme and Iron Fist, respectively. Uh, pretty badass having Hulk be Iron Fist, by the way. The Avengers lay waste to Khonshu's forces, and Thor gets free. Meanwhile, Moon Knight realizes that he's lost his mind while hosting the Phoenix Force because he's thinking about just ending the world, and then gets hammered down to Earth by Thor and releases the Phoenix on Earth. The Avengers have stopped Khonshu, but there's a very real problem brewing with Mephisto. Finally, we get a conversation between Jean Grey and Wolverine, who know that the Phoenix is back on Earth and looking to stop it. I'm curious to see if this will be a full-on team-up or adversarial between the two teams. It goes back and forth. I did not love how this ended. I know it's the Age of Conchu, but I was hoping for some bigger Moon Knight moments, but I don't think this is the last we'll see of Mark Spector in these pages. I talk more about this, but there's a roundtable coming up on this book in the very near future, so check that out. Next up, we have Captain America number 24. Give this a three and a half as well. This is a story really about Stephen Sharon on one side and the return of the Red Skull on the other. Steve and Sharon start by training where Sharon hangs with Steve from a speed and power perspective and then go get some sexy time. Good for you, Cap. They get some food and start talking about how Sharon is different. She notes that she has the power of Selene's victims who are begging to be avenged. They talk about how things are and how they wish they had more quiet time together, but how they also want to do more to help everyday people without the red tape of politics and bureaucracy. They get a call saying there's a problem with the Daughters of Liberty and Thaddeus Ross, and they think they've been captured. Alexander Lucan is struggling with the fact that memories are creeping in about what he's done as the Red Skull. Alexa hints that when he came back from the dead, Skull was part of the deal, and that no matter what, he can't do what the Red Skull will. 
At the end of the issue, it seems like Red Skull is behind the capture of the Daughters of Liberty, and Sharon and Steve are on the way with Sharon's new suit. I like that this is a down issue as far as events before what seems like is going to be a breakneck series of issues. I mostly like the art in the book. The style is unique and some of the panels really stick with you, particularly the ones with Red Skull being a horrible, horrible person. I really hope the next issue knocks my socks off. Next up, we have Captain Marvel number 22. I gave this a three and a half as well. Here's the start of a new arc for Carol. It starts with her team on an investigative mission. Things seem to be turning around for Carol. Her relationship with Rhodey seems to be going great. She just got reinstated to the Air Force, and she's looking into taking a vacation. They find the signal they've been searching for, and everyone gets grabbed. And somehow, Carol ends up in 2052. She comes across a few familiar faces, including an adult Jerry Drew, Jessica's baby. As she's attempting to get a grip on what's going on, they're attacked by a group of monsters, which Carol effectively deals with. She meets Rhodey's daughter as well, which she struggles with because it's not hers, and connects with Emma Frost. She comes across a wall called The Lost, and hero names are etched into it, like Jessica Jones, Kate Pride, Tony Stark, Luke Cage, Thor, and most importantly to Carol, Rhodey. Then she sees Jessica Drew, goes to their headquarters, where she finds out about someone named Ove, who may or may not be Ileana Rasputin. Then they are summoned to the main area, where Luke Cage, who's you know supposedly dead, is waiting with a message from Ove. I'm curious about where this is going, but I feel a little off with this first issue of the story, partially because I missed Captain Marvel The End, which apparently ties into this story a little bit. I like the art in this, but there are other books that are a bit more outstanding so far this week. Next up, we have Immortal Hulk number 38. I gave this a 4 out of 5. This is developing so well. This book opens with a look back at Bruce's abusive childhood, and we learn that Devil Hulk has been in Bruce's mind a long, long time. Leader goes above and beyond here in the mindscape of Banner and subdues the Hulk. Leader begins to monologue here, but he's splitting his attention over multiple bodies, over multiple planes of existence, and it takes its toll. He attempts to take Shadow Base, gloat in front of Samson, and deal with Bruce and all of his alters. It gets bad fast for Leader. Samson greatly damages him across the head, causing him to lose control over Rick Jones and Del Fry. Meanwhile, Rick Jones at Shadow Base gets ripped apart by translocation set by Dr. McGowan, furthering Leader's pain. He really focuses on getting rid of Banner, attempting to throw him through the green door to his dad and locking it behind him, but then Devil Hulk shows up. He's real pissed because he hurt Hulk. And then he hurt Banner, and he's standing over a leader at the end. I love this book because it never leaves its horror sensibilities. It's an amazing read, and it's incredible to look at. Joe Bennett is honestly one of the most undersold artists doing comics right now. Just a slice of excellence from this book on a regular basis. Okay, and then we're going to wrap things up here with the three titles from the X of Swords or Ten of Swords crossover. Starting with Hellions number five, I gave this a three and a half out of five. This book continues to be an absolutely fun ride, especially if you like Mr. Sinister. We start the book with Empath being resurrected, and my god is he an asshole. Charles leaves the resurrection to go to a quiet council meeting where Sinister proposes that they go steal the swords from the Arako side so that they will force a forfeit. 
It's proposed that Sinister lead the team, which he does not want to do, but gets talked into it. As the team preps, Havoc makes it clear that if they die away from this dimension, they are not coming back. They're dead, dead. Sinister and one of his clones argue about who gets to go on the mission, and it's eventually settled by a game of rock, paper, scissors, and we never actually find out who won. Grey Crow reveals to Empath that he's who killed him and that he'd do it again, which Empath is not thrilled about. They cross through the gate, helmed by Sinister, and see Jamie Braddock at court. Sinister and Braddock trade pleasantries and do an exchange where Sinister gives up his cape. They get caught, and it's about to go bad when Sinister asks Empath to use his powers. He initially doesn't because he doesn't feel appreciated, and then Sinister makes a bargain, uses powers to defuse the situation, and he can have Great Crow as a pet. As the issue ends, Psylocke notes how this is going to end badly. Fun book, and it looks great. This team seems like it'll play a big part later, and it feels like there's a high probability that at least one of them dies for good. The easy out is Sinister because of his clones. Uh, the book looks good. Uh, it reads so fun. I, I would highly recommend it uh, to anyone looking to just kind of kick back and enjoy a book. Next up, we have New Mutants number 13. I give this war a 4 out of 5. This story is all about Cypher and his sword Warlock. I like how the story connects to the next one at the start of the issue, but otherwise it's all about magic and Cypher. Warlock is one of the swords needed for the tournament and is bonded to Cypher. The problem here is that Cypher really can't fight at all. He decides to start training, which really isn't in his best interest alone. Thankfully, Magic decides to help him out, and that goes poorly for Cypher. In the small council meeting that dismissed Sinister, Krakoa objects to letting the only person who can really translate for it or him, I suppose, go to die in this tournament, especially if resurrection is a problem outside of this dimension. Cypher is determined to go and continues to train with magic. Still not great. It's so bad, in fact, that Krakoa steps in to protect Cypher in the training session. Exodus shows up as Ileana is leaving and offers to kill Cypher, so he's not technically alive when this tournament starts, and he can wield Warlock, which both Warlock and Cypher obviously reject. He talks to Krakoa, who is desperate to keep him, but Cypher feels a sense of duty around his sword and Krakoa, the country, and refuses to back down. He goes to train again with magic and does better. She warns that if he raises a sword in battle in Otherworld, it'll be the last thing he does. The art in this book is so beautiful. The use of dots and scratchy lines and the overall painted style make this a really interesting book to look at. And at times, it's almost distracting from the words on the page in the best possible way. I love New Mutants as a book because it's so crazy and so rewarding. I'd recommend this a lot. Okay, last story here. Uh, we have Cable number 5. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. This follows Cable in his wielding of the Light of Galador, a.k.a. the Light of Krakoa. Now, he renames it, obviously. Cable's sword is currently powering the peak, which is in orbit above Earth. The Summers family starts to question where the potential of thousands of occupants are for the space station, and they split up to investigate. Then we get the scene from New Mutants, but from the Cable Cyclops' point of view. Jean finds a man who shows her that they've been taken and then vents himself out of the airlock. Meanwhile, father and son find a massive door that has something called the Vescora on the other side, who are an invading and replicating force. 
Jean sends Cable to get his sword and power down the station as she sends her consciousness through the door to see what they're dealing with. When she finds out, she tells Cyclops not to hold back as they come through the gate, which he obliges. Cable gets the sword, powering everything down, shutting down the invasion. He joins the others at the submitting circle and sees Cypher and says he doesn't didn't know that he was a swordsman, to which Doug replies he isn't, which gets an oh response from Cable. This may not prove to be a significant issue and could get skipped, but I don't believe the saga on the peak or the Vescora threat are quite done just yet. We'll see as it develops. All right, wrapping up. If you want to be a part of the show, hit me up on Twitter at SpiderMike29. Looking forward to a big week next week. On the DC side, we'll be getting Batman number 101, Death Metal, The Robin King, Justice League number 55, Nightwing number 75, just to name a few. On the Marvel side, we will have uh, Amazing Spider-Man 50.LR. We'll have Daredevil number 23. Obviously, we'll be continuing the X of Swords crossover. And we'll get Marvel's X number 6, the finale, in that series. We got some stuff on YouTube, so please make sure you're subscribed and you don't miss a drop of our awesome content. We have merch on TeePublic, so check the link in the show notes to get your hands on some of our sweet, sweet gear. So that is all the time we have for this week. Of course, make sure you're subscribed to The Twisted Cape on your favorite podcast platform or just listen on thetwistedcape.com. We're at The Twisted Cape, no spaces on every social media platform. Facebook, The Gram, Twitter, and also YouTube. Make sure you tune in weekly on Wednesday to the Twisted Capes live show on Facebook or YouTube. Make sure you live in the in comments. We go over them during and at the end of each show. Finally, feel free to shoot us feedback on this show to the Twisted Cape at gmail.com and make sure you use the subject line MTS. Thanks for tuning in. So until next time, hey little mama, let me whisper in your ear. Stay safe, wear a mask, stay twisted. Fix that.